little foxes. All right, can everybody hear me? Great, well, it's so great to be with you guys. How's it going, South Hills Church? All right, back in Idaho. Love being in Idaho. Anytime I get an opportunity to come out here and uh, spend time with you guys, I always look for those opportunities. Uh, some of the nicest, nicest people here are in Idaho, and it's always mind-blowing because back in California, whenever people are nice, it's always like, what do you want? What are you looking for? And here, they're just genuinely nice, and so super excited to be back here. Um, before I get into the message, uh, I just wanted to say, you know, once again, very proud of who South Hills, Idaho is becoming more and more every single week, every single month. Um, I, we actually started this campus in the middle of a, uh, of a time where nobody was starting churches. And so we just really felt, and you know, I really felt like that God was really uh, doing something here in Idaho, in Eagle Meridian area specifically. And so we took a risk, and that's what South Hills does. The South Hills is a church of risk because we really believe God is moving and wants to change uh, lives on a daily, daily, weekly basis. And so we started this church in the middle of a pandemic, and, and, and that didn't slow us down. And, and this has been one of the very, very, very few churches that actually started in the middle of a pandemic and has been going week after week and growing week after week. So huge round of applause to you guys because you guys are the ones that actually made that happen. And so obviously it was God ordained and God was orchestrating all the right people in the right places at the right time, but at the end of the day, it had to take someone to say, yeah, I actually want to give this church a try, or yeah, I would actually consider volunteering my time to make this church happen every single week. And so I just want to say thank you guys, because without you, we wouldn't be able to have a church that's making a difference in the community. And that's one thing about South Hills is that we're not just a place for the weekend, um, although the weekend is amazing. We love coming together on the weekend. We love hearing amazing worship and hearing God's word and having it impact our lives. We do love that, but it's not just about the weekend. We do something called Beyond Our Walls, and that means that every, every opportunity we get to make a difference beyond these four walls, we will. And yesterday, um, another amazing volunteer did put, put together an amazing event, and uh, what we did was she actually orchestrated an event here in the community to meet at a coffee shop, got donations from the church, from you guys, from other organizations to... Uh, have this event that ultimately where they can put, or we can put backpacks together and give them to a foster care agency. So whenever kids go into the foster care agency, they, they're given a backpack with supplies, with some, you know, uh, care, uh, care uh, packages that are in there. And so this is just one of the many things that South Hills does. But I wanted to give a huge shout out to Arden for doing an amazing job with that yesterday. I was, uh, I was able to be there. Luckily, I was here for the weekend. And so, so uh, my, my friend is the one who actually told me, like, hey, did you know South Hills is doing an event at a coffee shop tomorrow? And I'm like, no, I did not. I'll be there. Find out where it's at and find out what time. And so uh, I was able to be there and hang out with uh, some of the South Hills team, some of the other, uh, some of the other uh, organizations that were there as well. So very proud of what South Hills, Idaho is becoming more and more, making a difference not only on the weekends but beyond the weekend. Uh, we have been in this series called Little Foxes, as you just saw this little, this little video. And this whole series, and I just I want to say this, uh, every year I get all my campus pastors, and there's uh, 12 of them currently all over uh, California, Idaho, and beyond, uh, and outside of the U.S. I, get, I have 12 campus pastors, and I gather them every year, and I, and I take them away for a vision and teaching retreat. And so this is usually in the month of September, and what I do is I spend three days with them, and we really spend a lot of time just thinking and praying about 
about what would God want us to teach the next upcoming year. So in September, I'll get all my campus pastors again. I'll gather them for about three days. We'll go away. We'll, we'll turn off all distractions, and we'll just focus on what will be the most impactful messages and series to teach for the upcoming year. So the series of Little Foxes wasn't necessarily designed last month or the month before. The series Little Foxes actually was planned last September. And so we put a lot of time and energy and prayer into this because we're really leaning on God to decide what he wants us to bring to uh, his church, his people, what are the things that are resonating in people's hearts. And so I say all that to say this, this is not an accident that you're here today. This is not an accident that you're going to be listening to this message today. This is not by chance or by choice. Um, This is something that God orchestrated way before Today, yesterday, last week, um, he didn't even know, like, I didn't even know I was going to be the one here speaking this message today. Pastor Randy, who's the normal campus pastor here, he decided to go on vacation. Needed a vacation. God bless him. Everyone needs to rest. So he, I, you know, he was granted his vacation to go. But ideally, everything that's happening today was not an accident. And so I really want to say that because as we get into the word, as we get into God's message, I want you to know that God really spent a lot of time to make sure that you were going to hear this message. He really spent a lot of time and energy and orchestrated a lot so that you could hear what he had to say to you specifically. And so we've been in this series called Little Foxes, and for the last four weeks we've been diving into what are the things that are happening in our life that we just ignore, uh, that we just kind of like, you know, turn an, an eye or turn a, a, our back to, that we, you know, we know that they should be adjusted or fixed or changed, but then we just kind of just don't really see them as a big deal. And so then we just let them be. And then every day we just repeat these things over and over and over. And so this, this message, Little Foxes, is exactly about a regular, normal day-to-day life, about a person who wakes up at some point, Idahoans wake up a lot later than, than, than I do in Southern California, but at some point they wake up and then they go to work and then they, uh, they make a living and then they come home and they spend time with their family and they maybe watch sports or watch a TV show or go out for a, you know, to the park or go out for a walk, pay bills, make sure that there's food in the, in the house and then go to bed and then start the day all over again. This series was really designed for the kind of like the normal day-to-day life, not someone who was, you know, that was living in a tragic situation day after day or in extreme circumstances day after day. This this message or this scripture was written to warn people who were just living day-to-day lives. And the reason for that is because what God knows about you is that when we ignore small behaviors every day, eventually that small behavior becomes a big behavior. When we ignore small bad habits in our life on a daily basis, eventually that, those little bad habits turn into one big decision that ultimately destroys our life, destroys our marriage, destroys our finances, destroys our family, destroys our career, destroy. And so, you know, last week when I was here, I read some really drastic stories about a gunman who lost it on the, on the road because he was cut off, uh, a guy that came out, you know, or a guy that was uh, in, in his home and teenagers just decided to ding-dong ditch him. And so all of a sudden, his anger, st- uh, you know, raged so much to the point where he chased them in a, in a car and ran them off the road. 
and lives were, you know, lives were lost because of these, these emotional decisions. And it wasn't because that's what they planned out that day. It was because of day-to-day decisions that were ignored or day-to-day behaviors that were ignored that ultimately came out in the wrong time or the wrong place. And so Little Foxes has been exactly this story. Week one, we dove into the damage of bad habits Like what are the bad habits in our life that ultimately are creating a distance or a disconnect from God or a distance and disconnect from the people in your life that you love? Uh, Week two, we jumped into how we damage relationships in our life. Like what are the things that we do in our daily life that are ultimately damaging the relationships with those that we love? And then week three, which was last week, uh, this was a, a message that was, that was focused on the areas that, of, of time that we waste. And, we, and just as Charlie mentioned earlier, uh, there's three things that we could put our time into. We can waste our time where we can just, you, you know, let the days go by. And next thing we know, we're a year older or 10 years older or, or now we're 45 with three kids that are kids that are getting ready to go into junior high. And we're just wondering like, when in the world did this happen? I could have sworn I just graduated high school not too long ago. And then my body quickly reminds me that that was a long time ago, right? And so, um, so we, you know, we can waste our time. We can, we can spend our time. And there's nothing wrong with spending your time. You can spend it on a career. You can spend it on education. You can spend it on, you know, you can spend it on building a, building a home or building a car or building, you're building something, right? Um, you can spend your time. But the other thing that we dove into is you can invest your time. You can actually invest your time. And there's only one thing that you can invest your time into that actually outlasts your life. Does anybody remember? Oh, somebody said it louder. People, people. Man, somebody paid attention. Give me an idea what that does in my heart. Somebody pays attention. All right, this is great because my kids constantly ignore me. And so I wonder, like, did you hear me? I could have sworn I said this, right? And so, um, so yes. So the Bible tells us over and over and over, every scripture, every story, every book, and every chapter that's in the Bible are designed to help us understand that God created you. You were brought into this world. You didn't plan yourself. You didn't get to choose when you were going to come into this world. That was all orchestrated and planned by God, right? God had chosen you before your parents had even decided or whether they decided to have kids or whether it was an accident, however it happened, uh, at the end of the day, God already had planned for you to come into this world and to live during this time, to live during this generation, And so the Bible tells us that the reason why you exist is not for wasting time. The reason why you exist is not necessarily for spending time, although there's nothing really wrong with spending time. But the reason why you exist is so that you can invest your life, invest your life in a relationship with God, and invest your life with the people that are around you. Now, I always say this, there's 7.5 billion people in this world. God does not expect for you to build relationships with 7.5 billion people. That's just mathematically impossible. The amount of time that you have in in, in your lifetime, the amount of hours in a day, the amount of time that you sleep, it's mathematically impossible for you to invest your life into 7.5 billion people. That's not the expectation. But the expectation is for the people that you are around on a daily basis for you to invest your time into those relationships. 
You live in a town that's maybe 50,000 people, so therefore you live in a community that's maybe a, a, you know, a few thousand, and all of a sudden the numbers start to come realistic with who are the people in my life that I can be, spending, that I can be investing time with, right? And so that is where the expectation is for God on how to use your time. Now today we're going to dive deeper into what are the traps What are the traps that keep us from living this life that God created for us? What are the traps that keep us from living the life that that God wants you to live? Because here's the reality. As you read this, this Bible and as you read the verses, one thing that's for sure is that God wants you to have a great life. He wants your life to be full. He wants your life to have joy. He wants your life to have purpose. He wants your life to have, have a, a reason for to wake up every morning and to face the day and to be excited about it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, when you get created and you get brought into this world, you are going to live a life where you're just going to wonder, why do I want to get up in the morning? Nowhere in this book does it say, when you get to the point where you're 40, maybe 50, maybe 60, you're going to be so tired of life that you're going to wonder, when is it going to be over? Nowhere does it say that. Everything in the Bible talks about a fullness and talks about a purpose and talks about excitement and joy and it talks about making a difference. But somehow, some way, person after person, conversation after conversation, I run into people who are just tired. Tired of the day-to-day grind, and tired of surviving, and tired of marriage, and tired of parenting. Oh my gosh, that's a, oh sorry, my boys are here, so I'm going to pick on them as much as I can. Uh, And they're just tired. They're just tired of just how things are not going as they would want them to go. And in their minds, they would just think, if everyone would just listen to me, life would be so much better, right? But the reality is this, is that a lot of times when we're tired and when we're ready for certain breaking points, the reason for that is because we've been living a life that God didn't ask you to live. At some point, you decided, these are the choices that I'm going to make. This is going to be the focus of my life. This is going to be the priority of my life whether you verbalized it or whether you just started making those decisions on a day-to-day basis like a little fox. And the next thing you know, you're wondering, what in the world is going on? Why does it feel like the whole world is against me? And so I want to dive into this deeper and deeper, and I just want to read this scripture that's kind of set the stage for these little foxes that are in our life. And once again, just a reminder, this scripture was written before you were born. It was written thousands and thousands of years ago. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyard is in bloom. And here, here, here's a scripture that God designed and wrote and put in the Bible thousands of years ago to warn us all today to say there's going to be little foxes in your life. There's going to be little decisions that you make on a daily basis that are going to ruin the most important things that matter to you. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Your marriage, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, your employer, your employees, the relationships that you are in on a daily basis, there's little foxes in your life that if you ignore, those relationships are going to be damaged. And last week, you know, I, I, we talked about a few of those things, and there was a phrase that I kept using over and over. I'm not going to expect for you to remember it. I was just shocked that you even remembered the, the people part of it. So I'm just going to go ahead and repeat it. Last week, I used this phrase over and over, and this was the phrase that I used. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it distracts us 
from the best thing. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it distracts us from the best thing. And if you're wondering, like, what is the best thing that I should be putting my time and energy into? The Bible tells us over and over, your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Those are the things and the only things that are going to outlast your life. Everything else could be good. Like, I use the example of myself. My phone. My phone is a good thing. I can call people, not that I really do, but I can, right? Most of you guys know, like, you have phones. You can call someone. Most of you don't, but you do. You can, right? I can text people, which I do a lot because I'd rather just tell them what I need or what I want without having to hear what they have to say, right? So the text messages, I'm letting you in all of my secrets, all right? So don't get mad at me if you get a text from me, all right? So, uh, and so uh, I can call people, I can text people, right? I can communicate with my kids, I can FaceTime them, and I can, you know, every now and then see their faces when they actually answer. And then, um, and then the other thing that I can do other than communication is I can research. I can, I can go on Google, I can look into certain, you know, certain topics or certain things that I'm looking and into. And then the other thing that I can do is I love sports and I can see what's going on in the world of sports. College World Series, who won, who lost. I can't believe, you know, NCAA pulled out NC State because of, you know, because of the whole COVID thing. And now Vanderbilt gets a free ride into the finals and that's not fair. And that's not, and so I, obviously, you know, I can do that or I can see what's going on with my losing angels week after week and game after game, right? And so, uh, and so I can be very connected to what's happening in the world, with my phone, I, I just, few buttons, a few, few touches, and I know what's happening in the world. And now the phone is a good thing. But a good thing can become a bad thing, right? Because what happens when I spend all my time on my phone? All of a sudden, I'm connected to what's going on in the world, and guess who I'm disconnecting from? Those who are around me. My wife, my kids, my friends. And I'm sometimes in the room with him. And doing this, right? So a good thing becomes a bad thing when it distracts us from the best thing. Another example is food. I love food. Idaho has, a, Idaho has amazing food, by the way. There is some great food in Idaho. I love food. And I love to try new restaurants. And I love to figure out who has the best steak and the softest, most tenderest steak. And I love to see who has the great wings and who has, you know, who has a great atmosphere, right? And so I love food. But now, as much as I love food, it wouldn't be a good idea for me to eat morning, noon, and night as much as I can every single night, right? It's just not good for your body to do that. Now, if you control it and you, and you, and you put it into like as portions and you spread it out, you get to enjoy it in a healthy way where it doesn't do damage. But if you just consume pounds and pounds and pounds of food on a daily basis, it really becomes a bad thing, right? So a phone is a good thing, but too much of it becomes a bad thing. Food is a good thing, but too much of it, beco uh, too much of it becomes a bad thing, right? It damages, you know, alcohol, beer and wine, oh, man, a, a glass of wine, red wine specifically, you know, at night with my wife and over a fire is just, is just one of those tranquility things. It's great. But too much of it can become a bad thing. Same thing, right? So there are things in our life, once again, that are good. But if you become focused on those things, they become a bad thing. They distract you from what's most important in your life. And so here we dove into this over and over and over. And now I want to say this. 
is that there is what I call an enemy and what the Bible calls the devil that morning, noon, and night is studying your every move. Morning, noon, and night is listening to your every word. Morning, noon, and night is watching what you watch, watching what you read, watching where you go, watching who you talk to, watching how you talk to them, studying your every move. Because what, I, what, because what the Bible says is that there's an enemy who wants to see you be miserable, who wants to destroy your life, your heart, your mind, who wants to disconnect you from God and wants to disconnect you from people. And every day his strategy is to trap you in ways to keep you disconnected. Every day you become a victim of this enemy. And he puts things in your head and puts things in your heart and puts things in your life to distract you, to keep you disconnected from God and to keep you disconnected from, uh, from, uh, from your relationships. And, and here's the reality is like you have on one end this enemy who's trying to destroy your life. And then you have on the other end a God who created you, who loves you more than anyone or anything in this world, who brought you into this world not by accident but by purpose, who gave you life, who gave you breath, who gave you wisdom, who gave you gifts, who gave you talents, who gave you education, and wants you to live a life to its fullest. But there's a way to live where you get this. And there was, there's a way to live where you become a trap into an enemy's mastermind, a master plan. And so there's this tug of war that happens on a daily basis where living a life that God created me to live so I can have joy and peace and love and generosity and I can have the life that God created or I become a victim to a trap. And now I'm depressed and now I'm angry and now I'm frustrated and now... Things aren't going the way that I want them to go. And all of a sudden, I'm caught in the middle of what are my choices? What choices am I making on a daily basis that's either going to lead me towards this way or lead me towards a trap of an enemy who wants to see me be miserable? Why would an enemy want you to be miserable? Because uh, people who are miserable or things that are miserable uh, wants company, right? Misery loves company. So an enemy who's been isolated and, and, and separated from what God has to offer, all they have left is anger, depression, hatred. And so all he wants to do is bring people to live in that misery. And we're left with, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to live my life the way God created it to live. And so this enemy is constantly working. It's constantly working to trap you. And now there, the there's, there's other illustrations that help to kind of like paint the picture of what does this trap look like? Uh, if you've ever, you know, uh, I, have a camp, I have two campuses in Africa. I have one in Kenya and I have one in South Africa. And there's a, you know, I get to learn and a lot from, you know, people who live in Africa and people, you know, who have to survive in different ways that we do here. And so I get to hear some really great stories. And one of the stories is how people use monkeys and, and baboons to, uh, to control them to kind of get what they want. So there's one thing about baboons is that they know where water supplies are. And so people in Africa, they, they figure out how to hunt for baboons and they want to trap them. Now, they don't want to kill them because they need them to kind of lead them to where these water supplies are, right? And so they create these traps. They create these traps where they can capture the baboon 
and then control it so they can get what they want from it. And these traps, it's not an Arrowhead water bottle, but it looks a lot like this, okay? So it's, it, whether it's a, a coconut or whether it's a, a water jug you know, that they use there, they basically, um, they cut a hole on one end big enough so that a baboon can put their hand through and they can squeeze their hand through it. And the reason why the baboon would do that is because on the other end is a bait that they use to trap the baboon. So when the baboon gets the, the, the bait, he has to or she has to make a fist. And then all of a sudden, when they go to pull their hand out, they can't pull their hand out because they're holding on to the bait, which to the baboon, it's food. This is valuable. This has meaning. This has survival to it. So in their heads, they found what they need to survive, to live life. And so they become captured by what they use to live life. And they can't get their hand through it as long as they hold on to this bait. And so then sure enough, they hold on to the bait and now they're trapped and they can't leave the area of where this is at. So then the hunter comes and literally just walks up to the baboon and picks him up puts him, whether it's a rope around his neck or a rope around his hand, however he captures him, puts him in a cage, picks up the bamboo. Now, all the bamboo has to do to not be captured is let go. Let go. And then pull their hand out and be off and running. But for some reason, inside of that little head, inside of that little heart, this is so valuable to them that they're willing to be captured and be used and controlled for whatever the hunter wants to do with them because they cannot let go. And the reality is this. The reality is this, is this is often how we get trapped as well. The enemy loves to use whatever your weakness is going to be to trap us and to trap you so that you can be controlled, so that you can be manipulated, so that you can be uh, living in the life of, like, of anger, frustration, depression, and not living the life that God wants you to live. Now, there's many areas that he uses for, for traps, right? There's many things that they use for traps, uh, whether, it's, whether, it's, uh, whether it's control, whether it's, uh, whether it's a career, whether it's a phone, whether it's money, whatever it is, whatever it is, the enemy knows that there's a trap for your life so that he can control it. And there's a scripture in John 10, verse 10 that says this. It says, the thief comes not only to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. So this scripture right here was ultimately created and designed to help you understand like God wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. And it's created the opportunities for you to have a rich and satisfying life. But yet there's a thief, there's an enemy who's wanting to kill, steal, and destroy and as long as you can live with your hands open to God and allowing him to live, to guide and direct you in a way where you can have that fullness of life, the rich and satisfying life, you won't be a trap to what the enemy has for you or the enemy wants you to live. But, but anytime we're holding on to whatever it is, whatever it is that he's using to control you, we become a trap. We become a trap to what the enemy wants you to think, wants you to live, wants you to 
act. And so there's a story. There's a story in the Bible, and it's found in Malachi. And what the story is, is ultimately uh, people who were living in a community, not necessarily Idaho, but it was another community, and they ultimately were given direction and guidance from God, and they were told how to live. They were saying, hey, listen, you know, God created you, God designed you, God, you know, wants you to have a rich and satisfying life, but here's the way to live. You got to live, you know, you got to stay connected to God. You know, whether that's diving into his scriptures, whether that's coming to church on the weekend, stay connected to God, having conversations with God. Today, we call that prayer. Stay connected to God. God is the creator. He knows what your heart and what your mind needs in order to have rich and satisfying life, okay? So then he says, here's things to live by. You know, when you live by, you, you live by God, you, you, you make God a priority, you make the people that, you know, that you're around a priority, and then ultimately your lifestyle becomes a priority of where your time goes, where your energy goes, where your resources, your finances go. And so he's giving them these guidance on how to live so they can have fruit, they can have, a, you know, they can have harvest, they can have a rich and satisfying life. Well, at some point, just like humans humanly do, they get distracted, they get trapped, they get derailed, and then often we forget, right? We forget like, oh, yeah, that was right. God wanted me to make him a priority, and God wanted me to have him act, for me to ha- be, have him be active in my life, and God wanted me to make, you know, coming together in a, in a worship service uh, a priority, and oh, God wanted me to make finances a priority, and God wanted me to make my time a priority, and all of a sudden those things, we, we start to, we start to let, let them go, right? And then... What happened in this group of people is they started letting those things go. And then all of a sudden, things weren't going so well for them. All of a sudden, the rich and satisfying life wasn't happening. Why? Because they became a trap to the busyness of life. They became a trap to mixed priorities. They became a trap to hoarding and controlling. They became a trap to, you know, trying to hold on to whatever they had and not share and not use. And so all of a sudden, they're living a life that they didn't want to live. With small decisions, day after day, little foxes that just kept nagging at them and destroying them and ultimately getting them to lead into a decisions where they were now at a place where like, whoa, we're no longer connected to God. So God comes in in Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 6 through 9, it says, Since I, the Lord, do not go back on my promises, you sons of Jacob have not perished from the days of your ancestors, and you have ignored my commandments. And have not kept them. So God is saying, listen, you guys, I, I tried to make this simple for you. I tried to give you the power of choice. And I tried to like leave things in, in your hands. And then you were doing a really good job at the beginning. But little by little, these little foxes started distancing you from, from me. Started distancing you from the things that are important in your life. And then he says, uh, for the, uh, let's see here. And, the, and kept them. Return to me, he says. Return. Come back. Come back to a focused life. Come back to a life of richness and satisfying. Come back to what should be important and you know, priority in your life. It says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord, heavens of the army. But you say, how should I return? Can a person rob God? And so there was a mystery inside of our hearts, inside of their hearts of saying, like, how do I make this right? How do I come back? 
How do, I, how do I start making better decisions and better choices? In this circumstance, in this situation, this specific group of people, this specific group of community had a major issue. They had a major, major issue. They're somehow, some way, their community and the village that they lived in and the town that they lived in had a focus that became derailed from the focus of what God had created for them. And you know what that, what that focus was? That focus was money. Now, it wasn't necessarily the money that we use today, but in that time, in that period, it was their crops, their resources. And so somehow, some way, that village became really focused on money, and guess what? The enemy came in and trapped them. And so as, as they were being controlled and, and didn't necessarily want to distance themselves from God, but they couldn't let go. They couldn't let go. They had to control because they felt this is what they needed. They felt they needed more, and they felt they couldn't live without it. And they felt like this was important, kind of like the monkey. This is what I need for life. I use this to survive. And if I have to give up my freedom, if I have to give up my life, if I have to give up uh, you know, the ability to live, then I'm going to go down holding on to that what matters most to me. And that's exactly what was happening here. And God is trying to help them understand, like, no, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. This is not what life is all about. He says, you are indeed robbing me, but you say, how are we robbing you? In the tithes and contributions, he says, you are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. And so God is basically trying to say, listen, you're trying to do more on your own than you are allowing me to do with you. What God is saying is, you know, when, when you bring the resources to me, I give you more resources. And this is such a concept that is so difficult for so many people because, you know, it, 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 it makes it very hard for us to, to, to figure out that God can do more with our open hand than we can with our closed hand. And this is a, and, and trust me, this is a conversation that I have with, with adults 60, 70, 80, 50, 40, 30, to kids, 9, 10, 11, 12. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget when I first sat down with my three boys who started making some money on their own. I sat them all down and I, and I wanted to help them understand how to live life. And I wanted to help them understand, like, hey, listen, you, we go to church every week, right? Yeah, most weeks when we're not, you're not playing baseball, right? Or most weeks when we're not doing this, okay? And so why do we go to church? Because it's important for our hearts, for our souls. It's important for our relationship with God. Okay, now, we read the Bible. We have this daily devotion thing in the morning before you school, right? Yeah, most of the time. Okay, yeah, we do miss a few of those. But we make an effort to make sure that, that we're reading the Bible before you go to school. Why do we do that? To help us, you know, be focused on why we're going to school. We're going to school to get educated, but we're also going to school to make a difference in people's lives. All right, so how do we do that, right? And so we, I have these conversations with my boys ongoing. I, I'm constantly trying to like teach them how to live this life, how to live this life. Why? Because that's what my dad did to me. My dad wasn't a dad that I would say was super involved in all of my activities. He didn't necessarily go to parent nights and he didn't necessarily go to like back to school nights. Those things, he kind of just didn't think they were important for one because he was never exposed to them. So he didn't understand the value. But one thing he always did check on me was my relationship with God, my relationship with people, my relationship with God, my relationship with people. He kept that as an inspection point constantly. So from an early childhood, I learned like, man, the only thing that really matters to my dad is God and people. And then I, at first I was like, well, don't you care about my grades? And don't you care about my sports? And don't you care about what I did? And, 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 and for a while it was confusing because those things were important to me. 
But for him, I was like, those things are good. But they're not more important than God and people. And so he taught me how to live this life, right? He taught me how to honor God and make God a priority, how to honor people and make people a priority, how to serve, how to give my time, how to, how to give my tithe and my finances. And he, and he taught me all these things. So when I had to do it for my boys, I'll never forget, my wife gave them a job. And their job was to clean all the blinds because she hates cleaning the blinds. And she's like, all right, $50 for each of you. $50 for each of you to clean the blinds. And they're like, oh, the boys are like, 50 bucks, I can Fortnite V-Bucks, and I can, you know, you know, go buy baseball cards. And they were like, already, already spent it before they even had it. And so, uh, not, not to say adults do that, it's just kids, right? And so, and so, sure enough, they cleaned the blinds. It took them several hours. As for those of you who have blinds, you're taking one of those off. You're washing them, cleaning them, putting them back on. So this was like a full day's project. Um, and by the time they got done, I purposely got $1 bills $51 bills for each of them. And I sit them all down and, down and say, okay, guys, you guys did some good work. You've worked hard, and now you're being paid for it. Here's your $50. Here's your $50. Here's your $50. And they're like, awesome. And they get ready to get up and to go spend it right away. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go spend it, before you go spend it, let me just teach you what God says about finances. He wants you to be wise. He doesn't, want you to, he doesn't want you to constantly spend it as quick as it comes in. Went over some scriptures and Proverbs about that. The fool spends it as quick as it comes in, right? So and then we said, you know, God wants you to invest, you know, your income so it doesn't necessarily disappear every time. You wanted to figure out how to make this money work for you so you're not constantly having to work for the money. And so we talked about, you know, we talked about uh, investing, we talked about saving, and we talked about the tithe. And the tithe was the part where the, the investing part, they were just like, oh, man, that seems like a long time. The saving part was like, okay, you know, I can put it in there, but as soon as I want to spend it, I can pull it out and spend it. Um, and then the, the tithe was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, the Bible talks about tithe. And the tithe is when you give back a 10% of what God gives to you. So then I went down this, you know, I went down this like, okay. It's like, all right, you got $50. How much is 10%? And some of them were like having to pull out the calculator. They're like five dollars. I said okay. So now this is so. Th so basically, I brought out buckets, and I said, put you know, let's put five five dollars in your uh, in your investment part bucket. Let's put five dollars in your savings bucket, and then let's put five dollars in your in your um, your tithe bucket. And then I said, okay, what do you have left? All right, thirty five dollars. All right, remember you asked mom for twenty seven dollars for for V bucks. Give her $27. Okay, remember you asked for, uh, you asked for uh, candy across the street of pavilions? All right, give her $6. And then it came down to the point where they had literally like $2 left. Now, two of the three were like, oh, man, I really learned something here, right? Two of the three were like in good spirits about it and were like, oh, man, this was, you know, this was hard to see, like the money go. And then, and then but they were able to move on. One of them just quietly got up and went to his room and was kind of like very sad and just like left and went to his room. And I noticed that he was quiet in his departure and I noticed his head was down. I noticed his shoulders were slumped, were slumped over. And I'm like, oh, he's not doing well with this thing. And I went, I, I, for, for, for my head, I couldn't register which bucket was the one that he was struggling with. I didn't register, was it that he had to pay back money, mom, for the, for the money he had spent already? Was it the investment bucket? Was it the savings bucket? And it really didn't dawn on me that it was going to be the tithe bucket, right? Because I just figured, like, we've been spending a lot of time with your relationship with God. That one should have been the easiest one. 
So then I go, and I'm like, hey, buddy. I'm like, is everything okay? It's like, no. And I'm like, what's wrong, bud? It's like, dad, why does God need my money? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, what? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, why does God need my money? And I'm just like, bud, I said, God doesn't need your money. He's like, well, then why do I have to give him 10%? And I'm like, you don't have to do that, bud. I said, he's just trying to teach you how to have life to the fullness. He's like, it's not that I told him, it's not that he needs it, it's that you need it. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of believing in what God has to say. Like, is this really the way for me to have a rich and satisfying life, a life of peace, of joy, of abundance, of purpose, of direction? Because if, if I believe what I, one thing about the Bible, then I have to believe the second thing about the Bible. Then I have to believe the third thing about the Bible. And then I have to believe everything about the Bible. Because if I don't believe one thing, then how am I going to believe the other things? So it's either I believe this or I don't. It's either I'm, I'm, I'm in for what you're, you're teaching me, God, or once again, I'll trust you with my career. All right, you can have my career. Okay, God, I'll trust you with my time. I'll give you three hours a week. I'll go to church one hour a week. I'll volunteer one hour a week. And then I'll join a Bible study an hour a week. Okay, I'll trust you, God, with my life. Salvation, salvation's good. I want to have a life of eternity with you. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Okay, God, uh, man, my kids are out of control. I'll trust you with my kids. Okay, um, God, you know, uh, I work really hard. The finances, yeah, that's, that's, that's the one where I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hold on to that. I'm gonna be the one that has control over that. And yet, it happens week after week, month after month, and people wonder why. Are things not going the way they should? Why am I struggling so much financially? Why am I struggling so much in my family? Why am I struggling so much in my work? Why am I struggling so much? Because God says if we trust him all, if we trust, every, if we trust him with every aspect of our life, we can have a rich and satisfying life. But the moment we start wanting to control, we fall a trap to the enemy who's wanting to destroy your head, your heart, your family, your marriage, your kids, your career. And God says, leave it to me. Open your hand. Open your hand so that you can have this life. And there's a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter, I'm sorry, there's a scripture in uh, Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm going to skip to the end. It says, I, I also found out that the Levites hadn't been given their portions. And ultimately what he's saying is, they, were try, they were, had a distrust. They had a selfishness. They had a wrong motives. And what they didn't understand is this point right here. What God gives to us is never just for us. What God gives to us is never just for us. God has given you life, and your life is not just for you. God has given you, given you time, and your time is not just for you. God has given you relationships, and those relationships are meant to be invested into. God has given you a career. God has given you finances. God has given you resources, and they're not just for you. And here's why. Because you didn't create yourself. You were created and designed by God. 
God is the one that gave you the gifts and talents and abilities to create those resources. Whether it was done through a family line, whether it was done through the shirt on your back, however it happened, God created you, designed you so that you can live the life that ultimately you were created to live. So anything he gives you is not just for you. And God says, trust me on this. I can do more with the 90% that you're going to be left with than you can on your own with the 100% that you're trying to live life with. And so the closing point I just want to say, I want to skip to the very end. It says, whatever you are holding on to is your God. Whatever it is you are holding on to is your God. Until you learn to let go and let God, you're going to constantly be holding on to your own God. And unfortunately, we become a trap to someone else's mastermind and master plan. And all of a sudden, now we're not living the life where you can have the richness and fullness and abundance and satisfaction. And whether it was a small portion or a large portion, at the end of the day, God is asking for you to trust him with your life and to see, test him, he says, test me. And see what I can do when you trust me with your life. Now, I want to I uh, share a story from one of our other campuses. Uh, we have campuses that are in English. We have campuses that are in uh, different languages. Uh, we have one that's uh, in the city of Riverside in California that's a Spanish campus. And there's a story in there that I want to share with you guys with someone who took the step of trusting God with their life. And let's go ahead and listen to that story right now. Mi nombre es Frank Esquivel. He estado venido a South Hills, Riverside. Español es mi campus ahorita, pero comencé aquí en uh, South Hills Corona. He estado viniendo a South Hills por cinco o seis años. Cuando yo comencé a uh, mi caminar con el Señor, yo de principio, yo no daba mi diezmo. Uh, y si daba, daba lo que yo quería, muy poquito. Porque siempre pensé, si doy acá mucho, no voy a tener para lo que yo quiero tener, ¿verdad? Comencé a, oh, un día escuché un, ver, un um, verso en la Biblia que, que me retó. Es a Malakai 3.10, donde el Señor nos dice que lo pruébenos. Es el único lugar en la Biblia que vamos a encontrar donde el Señor nos dice que lo pruébenos a Él. Y, cuando, y que demos nuestros diezmos y vamos a ver cómo Él nos va a bendecir en abundancia, nos va a dar mucho más. Y yo siempre estaba corto con mi dinero. En, en mis biles, en todo lo que yo tenía que pagar, siempre estaba corto, siempre estaba pidiendo dinero. Entonces ese verso lo escuché y dije, voy a tratarlo, que al cabo siempre estoy corto en todo lo que debo, que pierdo. Entonces comencé a dar mi diezmo. Y no pasó de un día al otro, uh, pero con tiempo comencé a mirar mis finanzas, estaban mejor. Comencé a recibir dinero de donde... Yo ni sabía que iban a mandarme dinero. Y comencé a poder pagar mis biles. Miré que ya no estaba pidiendo dinero como antes. Y dije, wow, esto sí está trabajando. Sí, recientemente uh, entró en mis manos una fuerte cantidad de dinero. Entonces, no pensé ni dos veces que el diezmo primero para mi señor. No Miré cuánto iba a ser el diezmo. Me acuerdo que fui al servicio a la iglesia. 
Y le pregunté a mi pastor, ah, sí, pastor, ¿cuánto es el diezmo de esto, verdad? Y dijo, porque tú me estás preguntando, te voy a decir, no, no, verdad, no, es porque yo te estoy diciendo. Pero cuando me dijo la cantidad, fue un fuerte cantidad también. Y me emocioné, porque dije, wow, ¿cuánto le voy a dar a, a mi Señor, a mi Dios, al que dio su vida por mí? Y no es mucho, pero era bastante fuerte. Y me dio mucha alegría y gusto poder darle al Señor esa cantidad de dinero, ¿verdad? Pues yo diría que si está uno, si estás pensando en si das o no, si, si estás, no sabes qué hacer, da. Te, te reto de que tú tomes esa, esa iniciativa y comiences a dar. Y como te digo, puede ser que pase por ti de un día al otro, pero a veces es un proceso, pero ten fe. Y tú vas a mirar, yo soy un ejemplo vivo, yo lo pasé, yo lo viví y yo lo creo, ahora yo lo, yo lo miro, yo lo sé. Y por eso estoy aquí para decirle a, a los que no están pensando sí o no, háganlo, háganlo, porque Dios bendice, Él no se queda con nada. We got, got a round of applause for amazing story. I want to just take a moment and pray for you because uh, I know that, you know, with a, with a conversation like we had today, there may be a lot of things that may be stirred up in your heart, and I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. Um, I don't know if it's finances you're holding on to. I don't know if it's a marriage that you're holding on to. I don't know if it's kids you're holding on to. I don't know if it's a career you're holding on to. I don't know if it's an idea that has not happened that you're holding on to and that you need to let go, but it's, I know this. If I know people, I know that there's something you're holding on to that you need to let go of and let God Take control, because the longer you try to hold on to and have control over it, the more that you become a trap to what the enemy has planned for you. And I don't want you to live a life in a trap. God designed you to live a life that's full, that has direction, guidance, purpose, joy, fulfillment. The only way to really live that life is to have your hand, have your life with your open hands, to allow God to live, to direct, to direct you. But we have to have our open hands in order to do that, because the more that we hold on to the more that we try to control.